Mamachona, Le Joseph Ngutana Mulobu, Kele Le Polokwe, Le Shaba Kotwana, Le Shaba Kuta Le Mauka Sibunu, Le Shaba Luisa Foroha Mapafwana, Mapafwana Aeja Aehalana, Ara Kuta Hape Wei Ekeza, Mutuwa Weiti. Welcome to the journey with Mpo Podcast, a sacred space for healing, love, and rediscovering your life purpose. Introducing your host, Mpo. Hello, JWM family. We are still hanging out with Z from Baltimore. Oop, oop. And this is part two of our celebration. In this part, I'll take the back seat and let Z share his poetry, run with you guys. I'll ask some questions here and there. So let's get the show on the road. My friend asked me, Z, why you stop rapping? Now all you do is spit these black power poems. I told him, yeah, I used to rap about weapons, but now these words be the weapons with which I used to fight. I fight for our humanity. Cause this basic human principle is often stripped away from us like graffiti off a wall. Ignorant biases projected onto our flesh like multicolored paint instead of gathering all the perspectives to help you get the whole picture. These words on my vocal cords be my sword I use to carve out my right to exist in a world constantly trying to stab us in the self-esteem. To exist in skin so melanated it makes you clutch your purse at first glance. So dark that it absorbs the light in your eyes and only leaves the darkest thoughts in your mind. Yes, I have fought in these streets with my own flesh, my own black brothers when I was too blind to see that the respect I thought I was fighting for fled the moment I raised my fist. The moment I disassociated my struggle from his. The only victor was society, a society that bruises us from birth and then claims the wounds are self-inflicted, a society that severs our connections to our roots and blames us for the dead trees in our yard, our humanity, so fragile that laws were passed to break us into shards of three-fifths of a human. These compositions I build be my shield, I will to protect my humanity. These stanzas stand up to those that see my life as replaceable. That see black lives as nothing more than a smudge on the windshield of America that can be wiped away so easy with one swipe of Lady Justice's blindfold. I write to represent my people, to show a world so infatuated with black culture that their stereotypes do not define us. That these streets may have raised us, but it's just a continuation of survival skills handed down by our ancestors. I write to reflect the fighter spirit of Malcolm, the unity of Garvey, the determination of Harriet, the boldness of Tupac to be as unapologetically black as I possibly can because so many of our ancestors died for being conscious of the fact that they were royalty, for being proud to be a human, dipped in melanin and left out to left out to dry in a country that never loved them. I write these poems to represent the fact that we are still here. We are still fighting. We are still proud of who we are. We are still human and we are still alive. And if I die, these poems be my resurrection, my induction into the grand hall of ancestral memory in hopes that my internal flame will light the torch to the next powermatic prodigy that will leave no page, no stage unscorched until they burn his whole goddamn system to the ground. And if that ain't a reason to write these black power poems, then I ask you, what the fuck are we all here for? Oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <sighs> I messed up a little bit. It's okay. But yeah. So heartfelt. Oh man. Unapologetically black, yeah. Yes, you gotta be. Because like uh people think that 
being pro-black is being anti-something else, mm. you know? And it's like my blackness does not take away from your anything else, you mm. know? It's like my blackness, I need to be, I don't need to apologize for being pro-black, mm. you know? And that's the thing that I went through in my job with me wearing my Black Lives Matter hat and my mm. boss getting upset about it. It's like, yo, why do I have to apologize for my blackness? Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. that's that's unfortunate. Yeah. So speaking of, I'll do that poem next. Oof. He keeps coming with the heat, yo. <laughs> <laughs> so the um the name of this poem is Dress Code. And it's because I wear my Black Lives Matter hat to work. And my boss got upset about it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he said he think it's controversial or whatever it is. And um, he was, and I was upset because he approached me like that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like I said, like I shouldn't have to apologize for my blackness. Yeah. Um, and expressing how I feel. And he, if he feels some type of way about someone saying that black lives matter, then that's his problem. Mm-hmm. And that's a deeper issue that he has to resolve himself. Mm-hmm. So like, um... I, I I I was upset when he asked me about it. I mean, I took the hat off or whatever. And then a couple of weeks later, I was still upset. And he called me in his office and he was like, yo, I still feel this tension between us mm-hmm. and um, and all of that. And so um, I told him I was still upset about it. Mm-hmm. I feel as though he thought that I was going to like physically harm him, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. And so he sent me home. Because how else do black men deal with anger? Exactly. What a stereotype. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So Let's hear the poem. All right. I almost quit my job today. My boss asked me what the BLM on my hat stood for. I told him it stands for Black Lives Matter. You could almost see the privilege stand up on the back of his neck. The threat of those words and an uneasy chill down his spine. The lies that he has been told that makes him opposed to those who hold those words so close echo through his mind as a smirk comes across his face. You know my girlfriend's brother's a cop. Those letters could also stand for Blue Lives Matter too. I pause. Even though his statement is technically correct, the caucasity, he has to say that to me in this moment knocks me back like a Jim Crow fire hose. Mm. So much goes on in my mind, but I decline to let it flow like raging water because the angry black man always seems to get sent downstream, never to return. So my tongue becomes a dam, holding back this waterfall of facts like, Blue Lives Matter is just to counteract the movement that seeks to shed white light on the red hands that continue to hide behind gold shields. That the very foundation of American police is built on the grounds of catching runaway slaves and that foundation refuses to crumble but instead continues to add bricks of black bodies to see how high they can pile them although it is impossible for him to empathize. I just want him to realize that in the history of this country, the people who have been lashed to death, publicly lynched and burned, fed to alligators, domestically terrorized, shot multiple times while on camera unarmed but never targeted because of the color of their uniform yes all lives do matter but who is it that always gets the blind eye of justice when it's theirs that's cut short but i do not reply instead i just left about an hour later he calls me back in his office and he says although he agrees with the cause he feels like i shouldn't wear my hat to work anymore because it's controversial i'm stunned I can't breathe. I try my best to hide my trembling hands as he does his fragile ego. I ask him, how is it possible that a statement about my life mattering is controversial? How is it that you don't want to how is it that you don't want to offend someone who disagrees with the fact that my right to breathe is the same as theirs? He says, 
It's the best way to avoid controversy and I can talk to HR if I want. But what about my HR? My human rights, my hereditary responsibility to fight against a system where my humanity is rejected. I could go to HR, demand an answer to what I see as blatant discrimination. I could take the social media, put this company on blast and start a hashtag that will haunt his fucking nightmares. I could march on company property, black fists in the air screaming, if black lives don't matter, then neither does our labor. I could go full on angry black man, dress my fist in a blue uniform and turn his face into Rodney King. Maybe if I turn his face into Rodney King, he'll be able to see that the only way that black and blue can all get along is if I turn his eyes one of each color. But I need my job. So I swallow the biggest pride pill I can possibly fit in my stomach. I go home and I weep with the spirit of my ancestors because apparently some chains will never be broken. That's that. That's true story. You emailed me and you were like, hey, could you use some kind words? <laughs> I did. I did. I emailed you. I wrote him a letter and I emailed you the letter because I was like, yo, maybe this is coming off too angry and I needed you <laughs> to tell me if it was too angry. I think that's a struggle not just black men have to deal with, but black women too. Like black mm. people have to constantly be like, am I coming off too angry? Am mm. I again the too angry black woman? Mm. How do I tone this down and still have a job so I can feed my kids? And mm. so it can be a lot. <laughs> yes, you know? it can be a lot. And uh, it's like, like I said, some change will never be broken because mm -hmm. it's like, you know... They have that that power mm. over you, mm. you know, because they they control how you feed your family, mm. how you how you make a living, mm. you know. So they could dictate certain things to you, mm. like what you can wear to work. And the messed up thing is that I can wear hats to work, mm -hmm. but I'm not supposed to wear baseball caps to work. Okay. So the fact that I wear them anyway, he can tell me that I can't wear. Hat. So it's like I can only raise a certain amount of hell because they let me wear baseball caps to work when I'm not supposed to. But mm -hmm. then the fact that he's trying to tell me what I can wear on it, what, what it can say, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know. And so that was a uh, that was a big deal for me. I was very upset about that. And uh, I literally did almost quit my job. Yeah, I almost quit my job for that. But uh, I think you handled it pretty well, given the circumstances. Thank you. It was uh, it was difficult. After a while, he apologized, mm -hmm. and then he told me that he's not gonna, he doesn't, he's not gonna come at me for what I wear on my hat, as long as nobody else has a problem with it. And I'm like, bro, you the only person that had a problem with it. You <laughs> literally the only one that said anything about it. Yeah. In this whole facility of like a hundred plus in people that people that work here all the time. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that was the thing. Okay, give me the next poem. Okay. You're running the show. This is your stage. This is my story. Okay. <laughs> I am going to do a short one then. Um, as you and your listeners know, um, we are going through COVID-19. Mm. And uh, a thing about it is that you have to wear a mask everywhere you go mm -hmm. in public. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a poem, a very short one, about how I feel as a black man wearing a mask in public. Okay. I wear a mask because I don't want to catch the virus. I take it off in public because I don't want to catch a copper's silver bullet. For this mask make me into werewolf. 
A creature so feared but only lives in the superstitious mind. I wear this mask so my mama don't worry. I take it off in public so my mama don't mourn me. I wear this mask to keep my hands away from my face. I take it off in public to keep my hands out of the air, to keep from assuming the position, to keep from having to remember the procedure with a gun in your face. Don't you see what a privilege it must be to feel free to protect yourself from this virus because you've never been seen as one? Yeah, I really felt some type of way about walking in a public place with a mask on. Mm. I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't like it at all. And it was really, um, I didn't get used to it. Mm-hmm. And then it was weird when, uh, after like a month, when I would walk in a place and they'd be like, oh, excuse me, sir. Well, next time you come in here, you got to wear a mask. <laughs> and I'm like, you telling me as a black man in America to wear a mask next time I come in your store. That was, uh, <laughs> that was interesting. Times uh, have changed. <laughs> like, times have changed in a month. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and I think that it was a big deal, especially in, like, New York. It was a thing where as though um, uh, black people um, disproportionately were getting the coronavirus. Okay. Uh, aspect of it was the fact that they didn't want to wear masks in public mm-hmm. because of the fact that you look suspicious. Already, your black skin makes you suspicious. Mm-hmm. So wearing a mask and covering your face in public makes you even more suspicious. So, so yeah, that was, um, that was, that was, that was how, where that piece came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With another piece that I, um, work, I've been working on, I've been workshopping it. I've been testing it out. I think I'm going to use this poem for the Grand Slam. Maybe I shouldn't be doing it because we're going to be competing in the Grand Slam. Taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, I wrote this poem because, I mean, a lot of um, a lot of our poems are all from trauma, traumatic, mm-hmm. depressing. So I wrote a poem that was trying to be more uplifting, and I wrote a poem about poets. Oh. Yes. So, poets are like onions, layered, fresh. Sometimes they smell bad. Some would even call us an acquired taste. But most importantly, when life cuts into us, the results will make you cry. Poets are like weeds, not flowers, because we are not here to be beautiful. We do not grow out of this stage to be a pretty decoration in the living room of your perception. We are more resilient than your dainty daisies. We dandelion blow these lines all over the field of your imagination until we blossom in your daydreams. We be rainforest, taking in all the toxins humankind spews at us and only responded by pumping fresh breath back into their bodies. We be volcano, blowing off our tops and spewing out our insides that are too hot to touch. Molding molten mishaps, misdeeds, and missed opportunities into new land to stand on. We be dark skies, hovering over crowds to make ourselves into clouds so they can project onto us whatever they want to see while simultaneously oblivious to the torrential downpour hiding just beyond this silver line in poets. The descendants of down try to degenerate to disintegrate and incinerate pages with depictions and inscriptions from our encrypted minds. We be conduits, the middlemen, for we do not write these poems. They already exist in the collective consciousness. We simply transfer them from a higher realm to this one. Poets are not sweet love songs. We are not gentle ballad. We be the bass, beating at the kick drum of your heart until your own music spills out of your soul. We the crescendo, the build up, the climax. We be the whole damn orchestra, even though we all use different 
different instruments to portray our passion. We will play a melody that will make you melt into a puddle of emotion. We are poets for a reason. Because this society we are trapped in can only load us up with so much ammunition before we shoot shattered mirrors back at his face to make it realize that its own reflection is the only one that is broken. Poet be a walking psychology lecture simply mimicking its surroundings dropping gems then chopping them into bite-sized pieces so that you don't choke on the whole truth we are not for the light-hearted we be too sandpaper to wipe your tears with too sharp edges to cuddle too hellfire to be so cool all the damn time cause life be our pot trauma be our soil water us with inspiration and watch us bloom watch us grow watch us heal watch us poet so hard to like quietly snap and like not scream and be like let's go poet uh, thank you um it, I really I like that piece because it's like one of my more like light-hearted pieces a lot of my pieces are not light-hearted at all mm. and so I had to try to like uh Jamon Hill he has this thing where it's like write about joy okay you know and something that that's joyful for me is poetry so it's mm. like you know uh, poets are different poets are they're like onions you know they're layered and all yeah. that stuff so um it was it was really i really liked that one was fun that one was really fun i definitely got the fun vibe from it okay are we ready for the next poem okay next poem let's see where i want to go with this okay so this poem is called anxiety wins it's one of my favorite poems that i've ever done um, shout out to Bodie, um, who you had on your show, who we did an episode together. If this... I love another day to not hear about Bodie. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you, Bodie. <laughs> Bodie is, he's dope though. Like Bodie, to be so young, that man is a damn genius, bro. He, he is. is, he's really dope. Mm -hmm. Bodie came to town. He started competing in slams. He, uh, first slam I saw him in, he came in like, third behind me got a little heat on my neck <laughs> then we did another slam and he won and i came in like third and i was upset slightly slightly upset <laughs> but uh but he's really good yes but the thing about it is that iron choppers iron sharpens iron he pushed me to write better mm. this poem came from his competition and i think that it's one of my favorite poems that i do and we were talking earlier um, on the last episode about vulnerability. And I think this is my most vulnerable poem. Mm. You know, it's called Anxiety Wins. When I see her. When I see her, anxiety always seems to win. Because as soon as she flutters in, the butterflies start. Actually, they feel more like fireflies in my stomach birthing a phoenix in my chest. Hands trembling like fault lines, but the fault lines in my inability to shake confidence in myself so I quake under the weight of my own self-doubt. Mind leapfrogging from planning my opening sentence to excuse after excuse as to why I shouldn't even talk to her at all because the words would just get tangled between my lips and my insecurities. And the more I think about it, the more I talk myself out of it. Like, yeah, her ring finger is bare, but what if her heart bears the name of a lover that she just left home today? Or every other day that I see her? What if the gazes that we share is just her gauging how much of a creep I am for continuously looking in her direction, but I continue to look in the direction of our future? The temptations play on the radio as she walks to my car on our first date, me thinking out of all the fellas in the world, her attention belongs to me. 
Thinking, how oh, on our first anniversary, we would come back to the same spot and role play how I nervously fumbled and rummaged through my backpack of blushing cheeks, pushing aside an assortment of awkwardness, digging past previous receipts of rejection to finally find the fortitude to say, hey, planning we'll get the bathroom first in the morning when we move into our first shared space. Thinking how I will open the dopest, deepest dungeon to lock away our deep conversations and guard them with the fury of a fire-breathing dragon without letting even one of her steamy secrets leave my lips how I will stimulate her already elevated mind with the chemistry and electricity to rival that of Frankenstein reanimating her ability to rise up against all the traumatic monsters that seek to eat away at her self-assurance and the only thing that I need to do is introduce myself but I can't and I don't and as anxiety wrestles my confidence to the ground yet again, I'm reminded of all the times in high school when I was too shy to talk to cute girls until I got back to my place and was able to hide behind messages on MySpace. As she walks out of my life yet again, completely unaware of the prayers that I have sent up as dares to any benevolent being to prove their existence to me by blessing me with her presence so I can exalt her as goddess, I am left standing here, hiding behind my shame. Tail tucked between hind legs like a scraggly dog because my courage was too cowardly to bark. I wallow in missed opportunity seeds that grow into regret trees that blocks the sunlight that illuminates my pathway out of loneliness. Maybe one day she would take it upon herself to dive past gender roles and see past this shell to find a pearl that she can craft into a beautiful heirloom. Maybe one day these gender roles will roll to the back of my mind along with the idea that my minute ability to make shift meaningful conversations makes me a minuscule man. Maybe I will go back and craft my bulletproof battle plan to capture her intrigue and use it to conquer this queen that rules the realm of my undivided attention but the biggest part of me wishes that i never see her again because although the battle will rage loudly inside my internal war zone my lips will ultimately stay silent and anxiety remains undefeated can i just say that you're a liar Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Can I call you out? Call you a liar? Oh, please. Please call <laughs> so, me. So, our previous episode, I asked, I said, what is love? And you hesitated, you bit your tongue, sweated a little bit, and then you read this poem that explains exactly what love is. So, what's the deal? <laughs> I mean, it's not... <laughs> it's like, I mean, okay, my answer... So what is love was like two energies intertwining, mm -hmm. complementing each other. And it's like, yeah, with this poem, it's like I envision that with someone else. I envision our two energies just coming together and intertwining and, and, and complementing each other. Mm -hmm. But it's just with this. So, I mean, I guess as you say i guess uh the definition of love doesn't elude me as much as i would put <laughs> off that it does but at the same time it's like with this poem uh i can envision all of that but that initial breaking that barrier of initially just trying to talk to someone has always been really hard for me mm. and so that's where the poem comes from it's like oh i could be in love but that first hurdle is like walking over like hey, <laughs> <Eggshells>. <laughs> what's up? and 
and that's hard. That's that's really hard for me. Like um, I wrote that. So the the story behind that poem. I wrote that poem because um, it was this woman who I've seen in my job. Mm-hmm. I saw her multiple times, and uh, uh, the third time I saw her come in, I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna talk to her this time. Yeah. I'm gonna get her number and all that stuff." Like yeah. last time she was here, like I kind of like talked to her a little bit, but yeah. it was just about her work stuff. And I'm yeah. like, "Yo, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do it." <laughs> but as soon as she like, as soon as I started talking about it, is when I started getting nervous. <laughs> And then I talked to my friend. I was like, yo, today's the day. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> the more I thought about it, the more I talked myself out of it, the more anxious I got. And then I just ended up hiding until she left the store. And then my friend is like, yo, what the hell? <laughs> Mind you, my friend is 17 years old. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm a 29-year-old man. And I'm just, like, nervous as hell to talk to this woman. And, um... The good thing about it is that I went to the bathroom and wrote that poem right after oh. that. I wrote like damn near the whole poem that yeah. went same night. Yeah. Um, and so at least I got a good poem out of it. <laughs> you did. You did. Yeah, I never saw her again. <laughs> In South Africa, we don't call it anxiety. It's a term called guavaba. Uh. It's like the, the fear that you get when you're trying to approach a girl you like. It's uh. like, I have guavaba. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> I had all the, did you say it again? Guavala. Guavala. I had it all. I had it all. Mountains of it. Okay, tell us about the next poem. Okay, I'm going to bring it back to black. Back to black. So, this next poem that I have is dedicated to all my brothers out there, all my black men. So, earlier in the last podcast, we were talking about... um, Baltimore and about how I wish that um, us as black people could unify a lot like I see the people of Hawaii do Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, and about how I was able to look back to Baltimore and see how many systems were in place that kept us where they wanted us to be Mm -hmm. and about how they turn us against each other Mm -hmm. because divide and conquer is the best way Mm -hmm. to 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 conquer. And so this poem is uh, more of my Malcolm Martin mixture Mm -hmm. to talk to my fellow black men. So this poem is called My Brother. My brother, I am not your enemy. If you were able to look into me, you would see that we share the same energy. And me looking intensely into your eyes is not me trying to test your energy but it is me trying to look past the mask that was pulled over your eyes to disguise your inner king. My brother, we come from royalty. And that ain't no fairy tale. I mean, the very scale of our people's descent into this black hole we are in brings chills to my skin. We are all guilty of falling for that trap that was set for us to instinctively project distrust on each other from the instant we met and it's a shame we didn't see his mind state from the gate this scam by Uncle Sam where his ideology is let's circulate drugs, guns, and poverty in those Negroes communities so they can kill each other and never bother me and then we'll hold all the bread over my head and force them into the slums so they can fight for the crumbs. My brother, that history book will tell you that they freed enslaved people and gave us equality, but it takes your own research to realize we still exist under enslaved mentality. You know a fish doesn't know it lives in water until you take it out. It is forced to gasp at empty air and stare into a new world that it never knew was there. Well, my brother, we are drowning. 
in a sea of anxiety, toxic masculinity, over aggression and misconceptions. But instead of looking for a boat of hope or a buoy of unity, we tend to grasp at fleeing bubbles of money and respect that we often value more than our breath. Ultimately grabbing a raft of wrath that we take out on any motherfucker that threatens our overinflated egos. But my brother, we can rise. Rise up from this water like the god of the Nile and cast down these mental chains where we were previously bound because we have too many enemies in this war hell-bent on doing us harm for us to continue to kill our own brothers in arms, my brother. Instead of shooting at black bodies, uplifting black souls to the heavens too soon, how about we elevate our mind states and shoot for the moon? Because my brother, together, no unbreakable tether, Atmospheric pressure, a law of fucking gravity can hold us down from ascending to light, transcending our strife and reclaiming our crown. My brother, I am not your enemy because together we can be heroes. I did that poem in my very first feature and um, that was right after, I, actually I wrote that poem right after Nipsey Hussle died. And it was uh it was right before the Grand Slam last year. And it was uh once you when when it came out that uh another uh black man killed him. And I was like, man, this is somebody who was really trying to uplift the black community and taken down by the very people he was trying to help. And um that really that really hit me in a way. And I was like, man, I gotta and I wrote that poem. And I did it at the Grand Slam. Yeah. Um, and I wrote it probably like a week beforehand. But it was like, it was way, it was really weighing heavy on me. So I had to like, you know, promote, perform that one. I definitely love how the last two poems have been so tied into our conversation from the previous episode. Mm -hmm. It's all coming together and connecting. You know, we were just talking about how systems were put in place, not just to segregate black people, but to put put them up against each other mm -hmm. you know yes and that poem perfectly describes that like we want good things for baltimore and south africa you know and we don't come from this high maka maka place it comes from a place of deep love like mm -hmm. we can help each other and we can see what goes on in the hawaiian communities to be done in a lot of the communities around the world exactly you know? and it would be so nice you know like like i said so nice to see because uh, I've been very much inspired by people in Hawaii and how, like, mm -hmm. unified they are and how unified they can be and how, like, they, they stand up for what they believe and for their land, yeah. you know? And I'm like, man, if we had that unification amongst black people in America, man, we would be a force to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it, it's possible. Yeah. And it does seem like we're coming from this high horse when we talk about it, but it's like, bro, it's, we, we see an example of it. So it's not that it's not right. possible. It's just... It's just difficult. Yeah. Complicated. Yeah. Getting you know. past ourselves too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> okay. So I got a couple more for y'all. I got a couple <laughs> more. A couple more poems. So the next poem I'm gonna do is a poem that I wrote about my phone. Um <laughs> I have a love hate relationship about my phone. Anyone that I've ever dated or talked to in a dating capacity will tell you that it takes me a long time to respond. If they ever text me. I never dated you and I know that too. You, yes. So, okay. Anyone who has known me in a personal capacity <laughs> knows that I uh, I take a long time to respond to messages. <laughs> um, because I don't like staring at my phone all the time. I don't like being on this device. 
And so um, I wrote a poem to release all of my frustration about being on the phone. <laughs> on and your phone? On my, and I wrote it up. <laughs> <laughs> I write all my phones on my phone, yes. Um, this phone has become my best frenemy. Stuck to my hands like fingerprints. Eyes caught in the photons emitting from its captivating glow. I stare blankly into the abyss that is constant connection as it reciprocates the energy that I drain from it by draining the energy from me that I should be manifesting into the physical world. Wasted time multiplies like bunnies as I slip down another YouTube rabbit hole that starts from the newest episode of Dad Jokes, continuing to the latest stupid things said or done by our Cheeto-in-Chief, and ending somewhere between the theories behind the concept of human consciousness and the top three reasons why we are all living in a simulation. This phone is more like a mirror, making me come face to face with the components of my psyche that I would rather leave hidden so deep in my subconscious that no one can hear them scream to be heard. This phone is a grave robber. Use an autocorrect as a shovel to dig up my frustrating inability to spell certain words so badly that it doesn't even recognize them enough to even fucking help me, forcing me to wage war with the very words I use as tools to peer into my own existence. This phone is a tomb raider. Dragging out the reanimated corpse of my antisocial nature, leaving behind only the empty space in which I should have left a reply message to the person that texted to see how I was doing three days ago. No, I'm not ignoring you. No, I'm not okay. No, I do not want to talk about it. This mirror reflecting back at me a captured image that I would rather not share with the world because all I see is everything trapped behind these pixels that no filter will ever be able to fix this chain. One side... clutching my fingertips, the other side tied to the social world that demands that through my art I constantly unmask my emotions to gain the admiration of strangers when I would rather remain anonymous. I know that if I want to create change, I must first build a platform, but what happens when the most effective tool disassembles my spirit in the process, this needle? I used to inject myself with all the information I could possibly handle before leaving me overdosed on the floor. Fermenting an overwhelming realization that I, as one person, will never be able to fix all the world's problems that it itself seemed to be completely content with despite the pain that it causes so many other souls that I can almost physically feel it within my own body. This fucking telephone. As I sit here writing this poem on it, seriously considering if I can even survive without it brings me to an epiphany. The fact that I even got to ask that question means that maybe I'm already too far gone. So that last line answered your question about, did you write the poem on your phone? <laughs> <laughs> when you said that, that's why I cracked up. I was like, I said that. Psychic. In the poem. You. <laughs> psychic, yes. She is psychic. Yes. Oh, man. Love-hate relationship with our phones. Do you think it's our phones or social media that we have a problem with? Oh, that's a good question. So it's a combination of both. Um, I mean, but social media, like with the push notifications, like you can't get you can't get away from it. Like if somebody likes uh, likes one of my pictures, comments on something, then um, my phone lights up. Um, I get messages. My phone lights up. So it's like it's no escaping this damn telephone. Let me teach you how to turn off your notifications. <laughs> <laughs> the bad thing is that I know how to turn it off. 
<laughs> so you just don't want to get away from this then. Because only because it's like with this newfound business, this poetry mm. thing, I need to be connected because like god forbid like it's like somebody hit me up they send me a video to post on the poetry page and i just don't look at it because you know i'm not ignoring anybody it's just that i don't want to be on my phone and i feel like um now i feel like before i wouldn't wouldn't feel anything about ignoring my phone but now i kind of feel guilty with ignoring Mm -hmm. my phone because i know like it's bigger than me now it's not just about me yeah you know i need to i need to do these things and post these videos because you know people are waiting people want to get posted people want to watch it you know, so I gotta, I gotta do that. Um, but oh, I hate being on this phone sometimes. <laughs> like there are, t- there are days that I set aside to just put it away and just yeah. be and just exist without yeah. it. Yeah, I so, see. Yeah. You're like, I'll be gone for the day. Bye, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely do that, and I don't answer. So anybody out there, if you hit my phone. And I don't respond or I don't answer. I'm not ignoring you. I just don't be on the phone <laughs> all the time. Okay. All right. So I got one more poem. All right. And um, it's my newest poem that I've written. So New shit. It's about Karen. <laughs> and y'all know who Karen is. Hey, Karen. <laughs> hey, who? Somebody asked me, like, who is this Karen woman? And so, just so y'all know, Karen is not a specific person. Karen is, um, well, let me explain it in a poem. (laughs) So, this is my poem about Karen. Okay. So, I scroll past this meme posted by a woman named Emily Swaven, and it reads, Dear Millennials, stop saying Karen. Karen is a sexist and racist term equivalent to the N-word for white women. The caption says, yes, the K-word is stronger than the N-word, at least currently. Misogyny and patriarchy have been around longer than slavery, so just don't say either. Okay. So first thing I did was agree with the fact that misogyny and patriarchy far predate American slavery. Yes, you got that one. The next thing I did was repost the meme and then start writing this poem. Dear Karen, I mean Emily, to compare the word nigger to the name Karen is trying to connect two dots that are not even in the same book. Karen, a female name of Danish origin meaning pure, or an overprivileged, entitled white woman who raises all type of hell if she is slightly inconvenienced, so easily triggered with absolutely no desire to see what's on the other side of the story. She got that same Karen haircut. She speaks fluent, lead to the manager. Y'all know Karen. She calls the police on you for smoking weed on your own porch. She protests the stay-at-home order because she can't get a haircut, but can't see how saying all lives matter can possibly be considered racist. Karen can't be racist. Her sister's daughter's husband is half black. Karen, who couldn't stand the audacity of a black boy whose eyes grazed her face, who couldn't see how he possibly thought he was human enough to look her way, who falsely told her husband that that little boy whistled in her direction in that air, leaving his lips, making that sound, inconvenienced her to her soul so much that that little boy had to die. See, the difference between Karen and nigger is which end of the noose you occupy, which side of the scale of... Which side of the scale of justice values your body? See, the woman in this story's name is Carol, but she couldn't be more Karen if she tried. The boy's name is Emmett 
Till. But I'm sure in his final hours, he got called a nigger so much that he thought it was Jesus calling him home. See, a nigger is a subhuman, an animal, something to be ignored and discarded. So the fact that Emmett was a 14-year-old boy no longer existed when they stripped away his name along with his innocence and branded him a nigger. Like stamping the word void across a contract he had with God that made him human. Like being a nigger allowed them to beat, torture, shoot him before discarding his body in a river. The word nigger carries the weight of the whip with it. Lashes away your human form to leave you to be butchered and cut up into whatever classification they they seek to put you in. To be called a nigger is to say that no matter your age, financial standing, education, uh, veteran status, or how many presidential terms you serve, you are still not good enough to be considered a whole person. And at the climax of me writing this poem, my friend texted me and says, you know that meme that you posted was a troll account, right? So I put down my flaming hot pen and went to Google and did what I should have did in the first place before I reposted it. I looked it up and there it was. The meme was a troll and I had fallen into its trap. I had been made easy prey, been made dinner for tiny troll tots tonight, been made a cog in the media outrage machine, picked up my torch and pitchfork to chase away the big bad werewolf, forgetting that I don't believe in monsters that I've never even seen, so quick to shoot into the darkness before even thinking to pull out my lantern. See, we live in a time where the truth depends on what social bubble you surround yourself in, and we wonder why we are so quick to pop off when someone floats a different opinion past our faces. We live in a time where information has never been so easy to access, yet we treat rumors like relay races. Just take what we are given and run without ever looking behind us. In that moment, staring into the reflection of my blacked out phone screen, jaw hanging to the floor, I saw my hair grow longer in the front and not the back. My skin took a Trump-sized gulp of bleach and washed away my melanin along with my rationality, and I became my own version of Karen. So easily triggered with absolutely no desire to see what's on the other side of the story. So easily triggered, yet so ignorant to the damage that the gun can cause and in my Karen brain all I can think was hey internet can I speak to your manager (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you you told me about this poem but I I love it thank you thank you um it's like um so um Veronica Tokalava mm-hmm. is the person that texted me and told she me that. She was just on that live. She was on, she was on my live too. I don't know if she's still there. But she's the one that texted me like, yo, you know that, that meme you posted was troll? And I was like, nah. And then I was like, because I am, um, I try to always be the person that, before I share something, I look it up. Because mm-hmm. I know like a lot of people share stuff That's without looking it up. Yeah, but at that moment, I did not. because Only because like I know that the Karen topic is an actual thing. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's pro- most likely people out there that believe that or that, that think that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that specific account, posting that specific meme was made to make people mad about a situation that kind of exists but like make you even madder by giving you false information and then and I, I felt I fell for it I felt yeah. trapped to it and like I gotta I gotta be more aware like I, I pride myself in being more aware and then I found myself in the trap yeah, yeah. so I had to write that poem about that yeah.
Yeah, it was crazy. I love it, and I hope it makes it to the Grand Slam stage. Michael and I were wondering the other day, who do you think Karen's married to? <laughs> um, probably a Brad. <laughs> oh or a Kenneth. So or, or a Michael. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he went there, guys. I'm just joking. I love Michael. He's one of my favorite humans. Yeah, I think he adores you, too. So it would be sad if you thought he was Karen's <laughs> husband. <laughs> He's so bad. Alright, there you have it, JWM family. We have done almost two awesome hours of Z from Baltimore. We know him as Zarki Edwards. Follow him on Instagram at Z from Baltimore. Um, the Lyrical YouTube, Lounge page. Lyrical Lounge page, the lyrical.lounge, and YouTube um, Z from Baltimore. Thank you so much for your community, Z, for the talking time, for your commitment to the show. We absolutely love and adore you and cannot wait to see what you continue to do with all this growth. We feel like you're you're being watered pretty fast. <laughs> Yo, I, the water comes from the community and from uh, great friends like yourself. Thank you again for having me on your show. I love your show. I love everything about you, and you are uh, amazing. <laughs> so if I'm growing, then you are uh, sunlight. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> okay, we are on Instagram at Journey with Mpo, and thank you so much for tuning in. Maholokwe kiotaba rwile aloha. Thank you for tuning in. We would love to grow our family. So if you love this episode, then please follow us on Instagram at Journey with Info and share this show with your friends and family. And if you would like to take your support to the next level, then visit us on our Patreon page. This is where listeners can become real friends and family with us. And as a special last note to the show, we'd like to welcome our newest Patreon member, Wendy from Maui. Thank you so much for joining us at the family level. You are greatly appreciated, and we look forward to many more family and friends on the podcast through Patreon. Finally, we love hearing from you, so if you are listening through Apple Podcasts, please don't be shy. Leave us a review. Thank you, and we will see you on the next episode.